Greetings, gente puente. In this episode, Juan Carlos Moreno, Associate Director of the Office of Evangelization and Catechesis for the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, shares about the program they developed to prepare adults for the Sacrament of Confirmation and how you can get access to it. To recover that sense of, of the catechumenate, of taking people through stages, of, of um, leading them to that conversion, to that encounter with Christ, and not just assume that they have it. You can find a summary of today's show and all the resources mentioned in the show notes at pattycc.com slash 36. You can also find links to some of our most popular episodes in the categories of popular devotions, immigrants, youth and young adult ministry, and bilingual liturgy and pastoral musicians. Si prefieres español, puedes leer un resumen de la entrevista de hoy sobre el programa que crearon en la Arquidiócesis de Galveston, Houston, para preparar adultos para el Sacramento de la Confirmación, y cómo puedes tener acceso en las notas del programa en paticc.com diagonal S36. I'm Patty Gutierrez of Patty's Catholic Corner. Our team serves Catholic ministers like you who want to connect with the Hispanic community. We make your ministry easier by sharing best practices, resources, and encouragement through this Gente Puente podcast and our Facebook group. And we now have a store where you can find products designed specifically for Gente Puente who love to build bridges to unite the body of Christ. You can find it at gentepuente.com. We can also help you stay focused on your ministry through our Catholic translation services, from English to Spanish or from Spanish to English. You can get a quote for your next project at pattycc.com services. Like I said, today's show is focused on the challenge of preparing adults who are already Catholic, maybe even active in the parish and attending Mass, but who for one reason or another were never confirmed. We will hear from Juan Carlos how a team in the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, identified that as a problem, didn't find the kind of program they were looking for that was distinct from both RCA and youth confirmation programs, so they set out to create their own. And they created an incredible program that I know you're going to love hearing about. As Juan Carlos says several times, it touches all six tasks of catechesis, is Christocentric, and focuses on evangelization. It is tailored for each learner with a separate stage for those that need a little more background and those who already are well catechized and just need to focus on preparing for confirmation. And best of all, he tells us how you can get access to it for free. The Archdiocese and Cardinal DiNardo have been generous enough to allow parishes and dioceses from across the country to use their program. And all you have to do is email Juan Carlos for access at jcmoreno at archgh.org. You can get a link in the show notes at pattycc.com slash 36. Now let's dive in. It's a little longer than most interviews in the Gente Puente podcast, but it's full of great information that you don't want to miss. Here's my conversation with Juan Carlos Moreno. Welcome, Juan Carlos. Thank you for coming to the Gente Puente podcast. Thank you for having me, Patty. I'm going to start us off with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Lord, we come before you so grateful for all the many blessings that you have given us, especially for the gift of serving in your church. 
We know that we are not perfect, and so we thank you for your mercy and for choosing to work through our broken humanity. Lord Jesus, you prayed that we would be one as you and the Father are one. Pour out your Spirit as we strive to be gente puente, building bridges to unite the body of Christ. May the Spirit fill our hearts and enkindle in us the fire of your love. Our Lady of Guadalupe and St. Anthony Mary Claret, pray for us. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Juan Carlos, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. I know it's a very busy season for you, and I would love if you would start out telling us a little bit about you, your background, your family, your ministry. Yes, thank you uh, again for the invitation. It it is uh, my honor uh, to be here with you. My name is Juan Carlos Moreno. I work for the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, as an associate director in the office of evangelization and catechesis for the last seven years. Before that, I did parish ministry for a while. And before that, I volunteered for many, many years in different areas. I actually got my start uh, thanks to my now wife, who at the time, my girlfriend invited me to, gently invited me <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, to to be a, a catechist for confirmation. And at that time, I mean, I did feel called to teach. I, I've been a teacher or instructor in many areas, but had never been a catechist. And and I actually lasted a, a couple of years being a catechist, probably the, the worst catechist ever. But uh, by the grace <laughs> of God, uh, I, I kept at it. And I thought and I felt moved that if I was going to do this uh, catechist thing, I better prepare myself and be the best catechist I could be. And and so being guided uh, uh, in different ways uh, with many doors opening, I was able to go to school and then get a couple of masters in theology. Um, and, and, and again, invited by my wife uh, right before I started my, my Arsacian ministry. To, to now conduct and be the leader for baptismal ministry. Uh, that's how I, I got another start in, in catechetical ministry. Well, my first love, my first ministry was music ministry, but I've been doing the uh, catechetical ministry now for, for many years. So I'm very glad to do so and, uh, and happy to help people in, in leading them to encounter God through the sacraments. Okay, interesting. And were you born there in Texas, or where are you from? I'm originally from Monterrey, Mexico, who um, is not very far from Houston, Texas. Um, it's about an eight-hour drive uh, north of Mexico. And I moved to the United States when I was 14, spent some time in Houston, and then I did a stint in San Antonio to complete my bachelor's at UT San Antonio, and then moved back to Houston, and, and I've been here for um, about a decade or so. All right. Well, thank you. So today we're going to talk about a program that you developed or you helped develop to prepare adults for confirmation. Can you kind of give us an overview of the program, who it's for? Yes. The program that we wrote um, was basically a response to a great need that, that we discern in the church and here locally. And of course, it is, I'm sure it is the same in many other places. That uh, here in Galveston, Houston, the usual age for confirmation is during 10th grade, so for adolescents. Uh, but as you know, not everybody gets confirmed at the usual time. They miss it for whatever reason. And, and in today's society, more and more it happens where they're so busy with activities, with sports whatever the case may be. So they miss the usual age for confirmation. 
And then they find people find themselves as adults, as young adults, um, either because they're searching for God or they've been asked to be godparents or they're thinking about getting married for whatever reason. There, there are multiple, multiple reasons. They seek the sacrament of confirmation. Um, and, and so the great majority of people that we see is precisely young adults uh, that missed the boat, so to speak, when it when it comes to the usual age for confirmation, and now they they go to a parish seeking preparation for the sacrament, and so that that's a need that we uh, detected here in our our diocese, and and we wanted to create something that was a response also to the vision of the church, of a sacramental formation that is based on the catechumenal process, meaning that it has different stages, that it aims to to evangelize. That's another great call, another clarion call for the church in our days, uh, that everything that we do is evangelizing. And so we created this particular program to address the needs of, of the people in the local church, um, leading them to, again, a, a deeper encounter with Jesus Christ, recognizing in many cases that they already have a relationship with Jesus Christ uh, and, and leading them to, to a deepening of that relationship through the sacrament of confirmation. Mm-hmm. So as you're describing that and you're talking about the process of the catechumenate and the stages, can you explain how the program that you developed is different from RCA and why we should not lump in the population that you're describing that's already been raised Catholic, but for whatever reason was not confirmed, why we should not lump them into an RCA program? Yes. Well, the reason is uh, following the, the vision expressed by the church in the document in the RCIA, the right for Christian initiation of adults. And, and the people that uh, need that are, are typically three groups. The unbaptized, of course, somebody who has not been baptized will go into RCIA. Those who have been baptized outside of the Catholic Church will go through uh, some type of RCIA pro- uh, process. And, and the last group uh, would be people that have been baptized Catholic, but then uncatechized, meaning uh, basically they were baptized, but never came back to the church after their baptism. I mean, basically, those, those are the type of folks that would need a process of RCIA, which is a process of conversion, uh, rather than something that, that is more discipleship or, or formational, uh, such as the uh, process for confirmation. So that, that, that's the main difference. And that's why uh, when we train people, we, we even encourage them to have a different team for the confirmation uh, process. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, the, the people that are in charge of RCIA, by the time that the Easter Vigil rolls out, they're pretty much exhausted by that time. So we try to tell them, uh, get other people uh, to, to make sure that, that you give this sacrament also its, its proper place and the attention that, that it deserves. But that is the main reason why we created something that is uh, different and, and separate from RCIA. Mm-hmm. And again, before we jump into the details of the program that you developed, you described uh, some situations when someone might be coming to you looking for confirmation. For example, they just got busy with sports or they're just now wanting to get closer to God and realize that they want to be confirmed. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they've found that in order to get married or be a godparent, they Mm -hmm. need to have um, this sacrament. And so they come to you for that. But what about people who come um, who are 
wanting the sacrament of confirmation, but they are already living together with someone outside of marriage. How do you deal with that situation? Are they allowed to go through the process? What is your policy there in the archdiocese? And how would you recommend we um, meet the needs of the person that comes to us in that situation? Yes, Patty, that's that's a good question because uh, because of the age involved, it, it very much coincides. Uh, young adults seeking confirmation, that's what we do. And of course, you have a lot of people that are either already married or together living uh, with someone or seeking to be married. And so um, one of the reasons that, that the process uh, makes it for a very interesting process is because of canon law that uh, when you go to the section in marriage, the vision is that ideally that the person seeking to be married in a church should have all the sacraments of initiation, baptism, first communion, and confirmation. And then there's a little clause that says, if unless it is an undue burden on the couple. <laughs> and, and so we latch into that particular definition and say, well, first of all, you're already being prepared for one sacrament, the sacrament of marriage, which should be given its whole atten- your whole attention. It, it, it takes multiple sessions, retreats, whatever. And then to ask for the preparation of another sacrament on top of that, I mean, yeah, to us that represents an undue burden. And the other reason for that is, is like you mentioned, many couples, unfortunately, the practice today is that they cohabitate before even seeking the the sacrament of marriage, those who still do, thank thank God. Um, And so for that reason, uh, it doesn't make much sense to prepare them to celebrate a sacrament sacrament of confirmation if they're in a particular situation, because even if they still celebrate the sacrament of reconciliation and are able to celebrate the sacrament of confirmation, they still go back to that objective situation of sin. So it doesn't make sense to do that. So we typically ask those uh, that are seeking this merit, this uh, sacrament of confirmation, we start with a initial discernment, a discernment interview. And, and we do emphasize the discernment piece because we, we want them to discern God's presence in their lives. How are they living their faith? And in that initial step, it's when we try to take care of any particular impediments that they may have to celebrate the sacrament. So if they've been previously married or if they're cohabitating or if uh, they haven't had their first communion, well, that's not an impediment, but something that we still need to work with. So any anything like that, we try to take care during the initial step, which is an, uh, an initial discernment interview. And so based on that discernment interview, there may be different paths. So what I'm hearing is one path may be a couple that's already in process of being prepared for the sacrament of marriage. Are you saying that they are not confirmed in your archdiocese before getting married and then they get prepared and do the confirmation at a later date? Correct. We we do recommend that if they uh, are seeking the sacrament of confirmation and, and, and they're still not married or they're cohabitating, that yes, that they first heal whatever the situation is, perhaps get married uh, and then prepare for confirmation. Give it its own place. One of the things that we don't want this to become is for confirmation to be a step or, or a prerequisite for marriage. No, we, we want to give the each sacrament its proper place and dignity. And, and the other thing that you mentioned, uh, you, you, you hit it in a nail by, by saying different paths. 
because we actually devised this particular process to have three outcomes. So after somebody comes to that initial discernment interview, uh, the, the first scenario would be someone who, like we said, was baptized but never came back to church, that person should really go to our CIA and not this process. A second mm-hmm. outcome, uh, and that's probably where the majority of people belong, uh, in, and most uh, people's experience confirms this, is that they need a more thorough preparation that simply a couple of sessions or a few sessions. Um, the the process before this was simply six ses- sessions for formation. And we found that that's really not sufficient for many people that have been away. Uh, perhaps first communion in second grade was the last time that they had any type of formation. So we actually devised a process, like you mentioned, uh, in, in three different phases. RCIA for those who need it, and then for those who need more, probably the majority of them, we, we have what we call approximate process for formation. So approximate formation. And that's one of the steps in the classical sacramental theology. You have approximate formation. And then for those who just missed the process, again, those people that we mentioned that they may have an attachment to the church, they have a life of prayer, they go to mass, but they missed a sacrament for whatever reason. For those, we have uh, an immediate preparation process, which is six sessions. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So describe to us a little bit about what is in the immediate uh, program, and then we'll dive into the proximate. Yes. For the immediate preparation process, um, as with any sacramental uh, formation process, it is directed, it is based on the right we we are very uh, uh, cognizant about the marriage between liturgy and catechesis. So for immediate preparation, uh, the sessions we cover, uh, in those six sessions, we cover the sacraments of initiation, we cover baptism and confirmation uh, in one session, and then we dedicate one session to the Eucharist. And again, if someone has not had uh, their first communion, this could perhaps apply for that preparation. Uh, we also talk about prayer, the spiritual life in session three. Session five, we concentrate wholly in, in the rite of confirmation. We go through the rite. And in the last session, we talk about mission, the church and discipleship. Uh, one of the hallmarks of this process is that we try to hit the sixth task of catechesis um, that we built it to be Christocentric. And in the case of the immediate formation is that every one of these six sessions, especially session five, it's uh, it's tied to the right. It points people to the right. And, and we, we make mention of a particular place in the celebration so that they go to that celebration already uh, uh, with a sense of uh, an understanding of what's going on and the reason why they're celebrating. So, so that's, uh, in a nutshell, the process and the content for those six sessions for the immediate preparation. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned the celebration, so I want to, can you explain uh, how you do the celebration in your archdiocese? Well, yes, uh, this, this sacrament this, this is a beautiful process, and, and it is also very challenging in many, in many ways. Um, uh, it is uh, uh, different from many other sacraments because, at least in our archdiocese, we send adults, young adults, 
to an archdiocesan celebration, multiple. We have actually many of them. Because of our size and the number of people that are seeking confirmation, I think the number of people that was that were confirmed last year altogether in all the celebrations, I want to say it was about 1,600 people, 1,600 people. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so these are folks coming from any one of our over 150 parishes, some parishes anywhere from one candidate. I think we had parishes with 50 or a little bit more of candidates. And so even the celebration uh, gets a little crazy because we have multiple celebrations for Pentecost. We will typically have a couple of celebrations on the, on the vigil, so on Saturday, and then another three or four on Pentecost. And lately we've had to do a couple more even uh, even after Pentecost, so we call it, you know, the the around Pentecost <laughs> celebration, uh, because there's so many, and and we actually had to add dates also in January just because of the number, um, and so we typically uh, go to celebrations, uh, two to four celebrations in the second week of January, around the feast of uh, Epiphany or Baptism of the Lord, which are also very good days to celebrate Confirmation, but but yeah, it's 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 funny because this process originated uh, back in in the late. 90s, I think 96 is when it started. Uh, and the idea was, well, we're going to catch catch up with all the people that were missing confirmation. So we'll do this maybe a couple times and we'll be done with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and the reality is that every year, every single year that we've done this, uh, may, maybe with the exception of, of uh, last year that we had the, 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 the horrible hurricane and things like that, we had a little mm-hmm. bit of a dip in numbers. But other than that, uh, since I've been in charge of the process, uh, 2014, 2015, we've seen tremendous growth year on. Hmm. Now, I know that the idea of doing it as an archdiocese predates your involvement, but do you know why or why do you continue to choose to do it that way instead of in the parishes? Well, um, I I think it is because, um, especially uh, the desires of the bishop, who who wants to keep um, a measure of contact with his people. And, and so he's always very insistent on doing as many youth confirmations as he can uh, on, on the one hand, and he wants to be able to talk to the youth uh, at their level and uh, about their issues. And then uh, on the other hand, for adults, the same thing. It's, it's a one occasion that the, that the bishop has direct contact. Well, one of the few occasions that the bishop has direct contact with his flock, and so he wants to also address them at their level, at their issues. Uh, and so he very much uh, has insisted that he wants to, to keep these uh, archdiocesan celebrations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because the youth celebrations are still parish-based? Yes, those are still okay. parish-based. And, and yeah, we, we have uh, a bishop that typically goes to, to one of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, can you tell us now, Maybe some of the differences or some of the aspects of the proximate preparation. Yes, so it, that, that's a very also a, a very interesting process that we devised because we designed the proximate preparation to have ten sessions, and now we tell when I do the training, I tell coordinators, I tell directors. Don't feel that you have to send the candidates to every single one of these sessions. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we're doing a, a thorough discernment interview. Out of that discernment interview, you you can tell, you're able to tell whether the person needs all 10 or a few of them. So this is a response to the call uh, that the church has for sacramental preparation that is 
tailored to the individual, such as it should be uh, in all instances, but especially for RCIA. As you know, uh, the church calls for a process that, that is tailored to the individual. Uh, we shouldn't say, oh, it lasts X number of years is two years. No, it, it lasts as long as conversion lasts, and then as long as the Holy Spirit leading the person to that conversion uh, it takes. And, and so that's that's one way that we try to make this a, a, a not a one size fits all, but a, a process that is more tailored to the individual. And the other feature of this proximate preparation is that we invite parishes to open up these ten sessions. To anyone in the parish who may wish to attend, we actually did not write the proximate preparation exclusively with confirmation in mind, but really more with an adult faith formation lens. And so we tell people, use these 10 sessions and run them multiple times a a year if you want. Our our dream uh, that we we articulate to people is that parishes would run with these 10 sessions put them into place in the parish two, three times a year. Uh, I We think that it would make a difference if every adult, before they go onto a sacramental context, would go through these 10 proximate sessions. Before marriage, consider having these formation sessions. Before parents baptize their, their children, go through these 10 sessions. Um, and, and it is a response, uh, Pope Francis, I've read at least a couple of times that he has articulated his wish um, of, of sort of returning to a catechumenate for people. Uh, he, he's mentioned it for sure in the context of marriage. But I agree that, that such is uh, the situation right now, that we need to recover that sense of, of the catechumenate, of taking people through stages, of, of um, leading them to that conversion, to that encounter with Christ, and not just assume that they have it. Um, and so that's one of the interest, interesting features of these uh, 10 sessions. We built it to be more with an evangelization bent. There are no textbooks. We, we wrote it uh, so that they go and dive into scriptures. It's, it's very much uh, infused with scripture, which is one of the greatest concerns for our Bishop Cardinal Leonardo, uh, that he wants everybody to to know their Bible. So, so that's kind of like the textbook, if you will, for these 10 sessions. In, in the proximate preparation. And what is the timing usually in the parishes? How often do they do a session? When do they usually start them? Or how does that work? Yes. So we, we recommend, uh, because we do have those two times for celebration, uh, parishes can start formation like right about now. Some parishes may start uh, with the 10 sessions. We had to reveal to people that you don't have to have just one session a week. There's no rule in, in the church that mm-hmm. says you have to have one because, you know, there's a concern. We have 10 for the proximate, 6 for the immediate. We tell them, you can run two a week for the proximate. There's no problem. Um, uh, and so we kind of had to break that mold on having one session a week. Uh, and so some parishes would start right about now if they want to send candidates for the January celebration. And then for those who are preparing folks for the Pentecost celebration, they can start anywhere after January typically, yeah. Okay. Now, do the people who go through the proximate preparation then move into the immediate, or does this replace? It, does it take the place also of the immediate preparation? No, they they would. Um, anybody starting through uh, the process with the proximate, we have one more piece of the puzzle, which is uh, a day of reflection. We we wanted to make sure that this uh, sacramental process also 
contain some element of spirituality. And, and so we even wrote an outline of a retreat or day of reflection at a parish. Um, in, in many instances, it's not possible to go away uh, for a full, you know, overnight retreat for adults. They're so busy. But we did want to have that element of spirituality here, uh, recognizing the importance of those moments of silence. Many times those are the moments uh, of greater closeness with God uh, when people open up and, and, and shut their ears and their eyes to all the noise and all the things of outside. And those are the times that, that, that often people come to encounter God. So, so we wanted to make sure to keep that. So after the 10 proximate sessions, People, everybody would go to the day of reflection, including those who were discerned ready to go on to the video preparation. And so after the day of reflection, everybody moves on to the six immediate sessions. Oh, okay, I see. We'll continue with my interview with Juan Carlos in a moment, but I want to take this chance to tell you a little more about our translation services. One of my goals when I stepped out of direct ministry was to keep using my gifts to serve Catholic ministries. I want to help where there is a desire to connect better with Hispanic Catholics, but not enough bilingual people to do so effectively. Our team focuses on working behind the scenes on translations so that Catholic leaders can focus on their direct ministry. As came up in the conversation with Juan Carlos, Sometimes when preparing adults for confirmation, there's a need to connect people to the tribunal to seek a declaration of nullity or invalidity, also known as an annulment. If your local tribunal needs help translating their materials into Spanish to make their process more accessible to Hispanic Catholics, I would really appreciate if you would ask them to consider our services. I have been an advocate in our local tribunal for many years and have translated some of their material, so I am very familiar with the lingo. I've spent many hours reading and researching the related canons in the Code of Canon Law in English and Spanish and have developed an extensive glossary for tribunal translations. I actually have a free cheat sheet available with the top 10 tribunal key terms with citations from canon law. You can get a free copy and see a link of how to get a quote for our services on the show notes page at pattycc.com slash 36. And now back to our conversation with Juan Carlos Moreno. Can you tell us some of the topics or describe the outline of the proximate preparation? Yes, uh, as we mentioned before, we, we wanted to make uh, make sure that we hit the six tasks of catechesis that is Christocentric, that is uh, evangelizing in nature. And, 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 and you can see just by listening to, to the title, session one, we start with getting to know Jesus through God and through man. Um, and, and one feature of all this uh, content of these lessons is that we have an essential question. We, we use essential questions. Um, and and every, every one of these has an essential question. Who is Jesus Christ and how does he invite me into a relationship with him is the first one. Uh, session two, uh, Jesus, our model for prayer. And then we go into a scripture, two scripture sessions, Old Testament, the promise of a Messiah, Session four, New Testament, the fulfillment of our Messiah. Uh, session five, we talk about the Paschal mystery rooted in our creed. Um, then we move on to the sacraments. Uh, session seven will be the Mass, the Beatitudes, the Church is session nine. And then we, uh, we conclude with our call 
to discipleship. So again, trying to hit the totality and an integral formation that hits all the six areas, the six, six tasks of catechesis. Um, uh, in this case, very much uh, an evangelizing approach, uh, using scripture as sort of as a textbook. And, and by the way, we use as a textbook for the immediate, we use uh, the adult catechism for the United States, which is available online. So, mm -hmm. so it's also very much available for people. Now, if someone is listening and they're getting really excited about this program, uh, how can they access it? <laughs> yes, we do have it posted on our website, and I do believe it is under uh, password protection, but we can perhaps add a note uh, in your notes with uh, my contact information. We'll be free. We'll be happy to, to uh, share that with folks. Um, I know that there are not a whole lot of resources for adults confirmation that's one of the reasons that we had to go ahead and just write our own program because at least at the time there, there wasn't a whole lot of things that, that we could use so absolutely if anybody listening in a parish or in our diocesan or diocesan setting and wants to take a look at what we did by all means uh, we'll be happy to share that uh, with folks thank you i know it will be very helpful like you say that there's not a lot of of resources out there and the fact that you all are opening that up and giving it away to other dioceses and parishes is very generous. I appreciate that. So if someone is listening from a parish, can you kind of describe the the way that you would suggest implementing it? And then maybe if there's a diocesan director listening, how do you implement it as an archdiocese? What do you do um, to train teams in the parishes and prepare them? Yes. Well, the the nice thing about uh, the process that we created, Patty, is that we created with uh, parishes in mind, especially those who may not have a lot of resources. So everything is there for them. We wrote and we have available everything that you need from the lesson plans, any handouts, even, even uh, opening prayer, closing prayers. We have the PowerPoints, if they choose to use PowerPoints, at least just to keep track where they are in the lesson. So we have all the resources available. And, and before I forget, I need to mention that it is available both in English and in Spanish. Our, our diocese is uh, probably three-fourths Hispanic, and many of those folks are Spanish-speaking. And so we wanted to make sure to also have uh, have it for them as well. And, and so all the resources that I'm talking about, all absolutely everything is available both in English and in Spanish. So for a parish, um, usually what I would do is, is I would just uh, ask for uh, an hour, an hour and a half meeting so I can explain to them the process, uh, a little bit about the lesson plans because they do follow a, a particular uh, methodology uh, that we learn uh, from from a curriculum specialist, and, and and that's also even an interesting thing I can mention, that, that even the lesson plans follow the catechumenal process because they start with the inquiry, they start with a question, uh, sort of a, just an open-ended and, and what to see what you know about the topic, and we move through different stages in the lesson. There is a, a teaching portion which corresponds to the catechumenate, and there's even a, a mystical process at the end where we t take them to a reflection, and, and how are they going to implement uh, the things that they learned now in their lives. So, so there's a call to action. So e even to that level, we wanted to make sure that we follow the church's visual, vision for sacramental formation. So that's a very interesting feature also of the process at the parish level. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
So you do an archdiocesan-wide workshop, or do you do it in different areas, or how do you split it up? Yeah, we typically have uh, workshops. In fact, we have one coming up at the end of the month where we'll we'll basically go through a lot of the things that we talked about here with you, that the history, why do we have to implement it, uh, again, the content, the, the 10 lessons, the 6, and we'll go over a, um, a lesson plan, again, explaining why those lessons are written the way they are, why we want them to follow it. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about the madness that is the <laughs> registration for celebrations and, and the importance that they follow those things. We have an online process for them to register. Um, and, and so that's typically how we would train folks to, to follow this process. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for a diocesan director who's looking to implement a diocesan-wide or archdiocesan-wide celebration like that? Maybe some hiccups that you all have dealt with and, and improved over the years? Well, um, surround yourself with with a lot of people and get advice. Um, don't be afraid to learn. We we learn a whole lot uh, from this curriculum specialist that I mentioned. Uh, she really stretched our minds because we 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 come from a catechetical background. We come from a theological background, but none of us had uh, any experience, uh, educational masters in pedagogy or, or curriculum. And so it, it was an interesting encounter of the minds and learning each other's language. Uh, but, but yeah, don't be afraid to learn, uh, call upon other areas of ex- people with other areas of expertise, um, because it was a wonderful thing. I mean, uh, the, the point uh, where we, uh, it was very eye opening, uh, in, during the process, because again, we spoke different languages. Uh, it was, it was kind of odd in the beginning, but once this uh, curriculum specialist showed us a number of educational theories, and she put them on a table uh, side by side with the RCA process and how every single educational theory it was exactly correlated. All the steps were basically the same as the RCA. They just used their own labels and their own names for, for the huh. different parts. But once she showed us how the latest research and the newest things they all corresponded to how the church has been teaching for ever for for the last uh, two thousand years. That's that was our aha moment. It's like, oh, okay, we we get what you're doing, and that it is a sound methodology, and that the church, of course, in her wisdom, knows what she's doing, and and people here are kind of reinventing the wheel, just putting different labels on it. So mm-hmm. so that that will be my my advice. Surround yourself, find find help from other areas, as as good and 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 bright as we are. We can always learn from uh, folks in, in, that have expertise in other areas. And the process was uh, enriched so much more because we've had help from, from those folks. Mm-hmm. Very good. A question comes to mind for me about the discernment interview. Do you have kind of a questionnaire that you lead people through? Or what kind of resources do you give parish coordinators for leading that uh, interview? Yes, that's an excellent question, Patty, because one of the things that we are pushing people to embrace is is this concept of discernment um, with different meanings. I mean, uh, we want people to make the sacramental interview to not just be about, let me get your biographical, you know, <laughs> details, your name, address, blah, blah, blah. No, uh, we want this to be the beginning of, of a process where we walk with people where we journey with them i know that terms is probably cliche by now but 
accompanying them in their journey of faith. Uh, Pope Francis has mentioned that time and time again, uh, that need for accompaniment, accompañamiento. So, so for us, that's, that's the beginning of that process. Uh, how are we going to serve people if we don't know their struggles, if, the, if we don't know what they're going through? So we're trying to ask people, uh, and I know it's hard because we are, we're also very busy at the parish, and we have parishes with hundreds and hundreds of, of people that go through sacramental prep. But, but we, we have to find ways to make sure that we are uh, touching these, these folks and, and knowing what struggles are going through. And so that, that's the essence of, of this discernment. Go, to go beyond just using a list of questions to get contact information. But, but a beginning of that process of uh, of uh, journeying with them toward an encounter with Christ, to to bring individuals uh, to to a full communion with the Catholic Church through the strength of the Holy Spirit in the sacrament of confirmation. So, so a lot of listening, um, a lot of uh, we we have a little bit of training, you know, to to tell people make sure that the person that is doing the discernment is someone with a lot of empathy and is able to listen um, and is, is able to to help people. And and even at the level of, of um, telling people the, the richness of resources that we have at the church, many, many times people don't know that at their own local parish may have a variety of social services. Uh, and so they may go seeking elsewhere for those. So, so the discernment interview is something of type of a, of a culture change that, that we're trying to, to for folks to move toward uh, uh, walking together discernment. And, and they use as a discernment tool those essential questions that I mentioned um, in the immediate process, both immediate and, and the, uh, pro, uh, in the proximate have essential questions, but we use those essential questions so as to help them discernment uh, out of those 10 sessions in the proximate process if they need all of them. So uh, mm-hmm. according to how they answer those essential questions, they may say, well, you, you, you spend some time uh, reading the Bible, studying the scripture, perhaps you don't need those. Uh, uh, and, and so, yeah, that's, that's a neat feature also of the discernment interview that we, we use those uh, essential questions from the lessons as guiding questions. Oh, okay. Is this interview usually done in one setting or sitting or are there usually various meetings? Yeah, we we do recommend if possible face to face, recognizing the reality that again, that may not be a possibility if you have 50 candidates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so perhaps uh, small groups uh, we all we always uh, tell people to make sure that that you surround yourself with the team. That's one one of the very first things that we promote is that you don't have to do this yourself. You you need to to do, to create a team and, and surround yourself with good people. Many people are are waiting for you to uh, to raise them to, and to recognize them um, so that they can also serve uh, and fulfill those baptismal promises and that call. To, to be disciples. So, so many times that's what it takes just for us to, to ask. But, but yes, to answer your question, per, uh, personal interviews will be ideal, sometimes small groups. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would love to hear a story if you could share a story without, you know, revealing personal details or anything, but um, about maybe a conversion that you've seen through this process of a, a candidate or of a coordinator or a parish, anything that you could share about uh, how you've seen this program impacting people's faith life? 
Well, and maybe not an individual story, but a, a couple of things that I've noticed. One, uh, when we visit parishes um, to see how they're doing, and we sit there in the corner and observe how they carry out the formation using the lesson plans, especially in the beginning and, and even after that, it, it is amazing how uh, it changes the dynamics when they follow this process, the way that we build this lesson. Because these lessons are designed so that you no longer have an expert, quote unquote, (laughs) for two hours talking to you on a particular topic, but they're very much uh, dynamic and engaging. And there's multiple occasions when when we post a question and, and we tell them, okay, now turn and talk to your neighbor. There's activities. We have them delve into the Bible. We have them delve into the catechism. And and I, I'll never forget it, the terminology that is stuck in my mind. It's a gradual release of responsibility on the learner <laughs> that, that, we're, <laughs> that we're letting them little by little uh, be, be responsible for their own formation. We're, we're taking them by the hand. But but that way, the, the catechist truly moves from being a specialist lecturing for two hours to really just facilitating the process for them. So that's one thing that I can tell you we observed, how the dynamics completely changed using our lesson plans, using this process. Uh, there was a lot more of a uh, camaraderie, uh, people uh, getting to know each other rather than just sitting as strangers for a number of sessions, no, they, they get to know each other because they have been sharing their faith um, because the lesson plans, the way they're built, it calls for them to do that. And, and that's the best way for adults to learn by sharing with other adults. Uh, and so that's, that's the, the one occasion that we see it. And the other one, of course, uh, is during the celebrations. We, we're typically present there at, at all of the celebrations. And, and to see people's faces and some people even uh, thanking uh, us and thanking their uh, directors that are also pre- present at the celebration and and, and the difference that uh, this formation process has made for them. So we are seeing uh, some good fruits and, and we continue to work so that everybody in the uh, Archdiocese uh, implements this process. Well, thank you. It just sounds incredible. And I'm so glad that you all took the time to put it together and really discern what the need was. And uh, it sounds like you really spent a lot of time making sure that it fit the needs. And like you said, with the pedagogy, but also the Christocentric and evangelizing piece. So thank you for doing it and then for sharing it with the broader church. I know it's going to be very helpful for people. Absolutely. Like you said, it, it was a lot of work. Uh, we had a lot of help, uh, but but it is a, a joy to to go to the celebrations and, and know that we are part uh, of their faith journey. Yeah. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, I got to know you some through our Facebook group, and you're sharing about your Instituto de Formación. So I would love for you to share a little bit about what you do with that, how, what it is, how people can... Uh, get in touch with you and see this um, Formation Institute. Yes, that's sort of my playing ground or, or my uh, laboratory of sorts because <laughs> uh, uh, I, I try a lot of things there uh, in the Instituto de Formación Vayan al Mundo. 
Um, and then anything that works, I'll, I'll try to bring it to the Archdiocesan experience. But yes, that's been a, um, an initiative that I've had uh, just simply because that's my my own personal outlook evangelistic. I, I mean, I, I would probably die if I couldn't share the gospel, you know. Uh, and, and so I, I try to, anytime I'm, in, I'm invited to a parish or... or um, uh, any type of formation things that I'm invited to do, I try to record it either at the beginning audio for sure, but nowadays more and more video. I try to record it and make it available. Uh, I've created even some online courses there uh, that you can find at uh, vayanalmundo.org, vayanalmundo.org. Um, and and yes, we've been sharing a, a lot of things uh, lately. We even uh, had the the desire that uh, was inspired by God to to offer some uh, scholarships as well. So through Facebook, we've been raising funds, and so it's it's kind of a, a way to test new new ways of sharing the gospel uh, and reaching more and more people. I, I would always tell people, "Man, we do so many good things here uh, uh, live, and but only so many people get to benefit." So that's mm-hmm. why my my aim is always to try to record. Uh, live through uh, social media and try to make things available to people. So definitely I, I invite people to uh, visit uh, the website uh, once again, vayanalmundo.org uh, or through Facebook, uh, Instituto de Formación Vayan al Mundo. Mm-hmm. Now, is it geared more towards individuals or leaders who are going to use this information to evangelize others or who is it geared toward? Yeah, I this one I would say is, is more geared for individuals who are looking to grow in their faith, and and, and even the the content that, that we share, um, it, it tend, tends to be more on the formational side, simply because that's what we do here in the RCLC. That's what I do. Um, I've I've recorded even some classes that that I've been able to do at, at the seminary with the candidates for the diaconate. So it tends to be more formational, and and with the hopes again of, of people learning more about their faith, falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with his church, and and at the same time for them to share with others, yeah. Mm-hmm. Are they all in Spanish or are there um, is there a mix of languages? For that one, I've chosen to serve uh, more in, in Spanish just because I do see uh, a greater need, um, at least here in the United States, uh, for more resources and support for the Hispanic community, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you. We will be sure to include links to both of those, the Facebook page and the website, as well as your email for people who want to access the confirmation materials that we've been talking about. Sure. But we're going to kind of switch gears now. You know that part of the Gente Puente goals <laughs> or the goals of the Gente Puente podcast and community is to create an encouraging space where we can support each other as Catholic leaders. So I want to ask you, as a leader in ministry, can you pick something that you've learned uh, that has helped you that maybe other Catholic leaders could learn from and maybe about how you balance your ministry and the rest of your life or how you nurture your own relationship with God or maybe a leadership skill that you learned over the years? What could you share with us? That's a really good question. <laughs> well, yeah, I've learned a lot. I mean, the the... The contact with the people, being open to encountering God through other people. Um, I've always encouraged people to do that. We're all in different stages uh, in, in our journey of faith. Um, and so I've always encouraged people 
to to not just look for those moments. Uh, so, sometimes I always I always tell people I'm I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not mad. I'm not telling you that this is wrong, but especially in the Hispanic community, I see a tendency for people to many times go after strange phenomena and bleeding statues. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's great, but you know, we also encounter Christ through others. So I'm always encouraging people to do that, and I try to do the same. That's that's the best part of, of this job, uh, of being able to interact with so many people. And 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 for instance, one example I can give you is when in recent weeks, in recent months, uh, last summer, when when we started again hearing about all the horrific stories of abuse. Um, I went to different sessions of formation and I was ready to tell people, you know, <laughs> don't lose faith. And, and I was ready with my speech. And turns out they were very faithful and, and they actually filled me with hope. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, 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 and I was the one that actually needed their, their encouragement because in, in our position in the RCLC, sometimes we get to hear all, all the, all the bad news more, more than other people. And, mm-hmm. and so, uh, the contact with the people to to be open to encounter Christ through others, um, I think is what sustains me a whole lot in in what we do, in spite of all the many difficulties that we have in our church today. Um, uh, sometimes people have the idea of, of uh, diocesan personnel of being in an ivory tower, and perhaps that is the case, you know, uh, for some people in some circumstances. But I try to to never lose touch of that of the people that I serve, the people of God, and 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 really I find that contact with them and prayer uh, prayer experiences with them and and anytime we can is is really what feeds a whole lot of of my spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, I think as you said. Um, Ministry can tend to feel lonely or it's easy to be discouraged by the challenges that we are facing. Can you speak directly to the leaders that are listening and um, encourage them in their ministry? Absolutely, uh, Patty. I think um, we, we've been hit with so many bad news uh, recently. Um, but uh, what I tell people is uh, I, I tell them, the the experience that I had, I, I was teaching actually uh, on the book of Acts uh, right around the last round uh, happened last year, and I tell people that that I found uh, a closeness to to the episode, the passage where Peter is, is is preaching the charismatic proclamation, the initial proclamation to the Jews. And he tells them uh, all about what has happened, uh, the, the history, and how God sent the, the Messiah, whom you killed. And, and the response of the people, I tell them, is, is, is what I feel that we are sometimes in the church, uh, how they, they felt they, they, lost, they lost heart, how they mm-hmm. felt. And, and they ask, what are we to do? And, and I tell people, the response then is the same today convert repent we 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 need to look uh, in our in our own situation and and the call for conversion uh, n- none of us are free of sin and so the same situation I see parallel today uh, repent and turn to Jesus this is the same then as it is today 
Um, and, and so when I was um, reading that and studying for, for the gospel of Acts that I, that I was teaching back then, it just really hit me uh, as a parallel situation with the reaction that we have right now, el, el estar acongojados, you know, <laughs> to, be, to lose heart, um, and, and the call to, to convert ourselves to, uh, to Jesus and, and not, lose, not lose heart. Thank you. Could you close us in prayer for all those who serve the church, please? Sure. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we praise you and we give you thanks, O Lord, now and always and forever. And we want to, especially in this occasion, ask for all of those ministers of the church, all those bishops, all those priests, deacons, all those catechists, all those coordinators and leaders in catechism, that you will fill them with your Holy Spirit uh, now and during these difficult times, and that you send your Holy Spirit upon them and guide them and uh, give them life in everything that we do, that, that everything is modeled after our teacher, your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Juan Carlos. It's such sure. a pleasure to talk to you. I could just hear the spirit moving when you're talking and in the experience that you're sharing about what's been going on in the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. So I just really appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us today. My pleasure, Patty. Thank you so much for the invitation. What an incredible interview and such generosity sharing this program that they worked so hard to create. Here are some of the key takeaways for me. One, we need to accompany people. As Pope Francis has emphasized in his pontificate, we are called to be missionary disciples that accompany others on their faith journey and bring them to encounter Christ. And like Juan Carlos reminded us, this takes time, empathy, and the art of listening. Two, meet people where they are. I love the emphasis in this program on discerning where God is already showing up in the lives of those seeking the sacraments, finding out what they already know through a personal interview, and then tailoring the program to fit their specific needs. When you get access to the program, which again you can do by emailing Juan Carlos at jcmoreno at archgh.org, you'll see the discernment interview resource that helps explain how to conduct the interview and some of the things to watch out for. And there's a handout you can give the candidate before the interview to start considering the questions so they can be prepared for a fruitful conversation. Some of the questions are, who is Jesus to you? What is prayer? Do you pray? What does church mean to you? What does it mean to you to be created by God, to be a disciple of Christ? And so on. Three, adults learn better by sharing with other adults, not by listening to lectures. I think that might go for children as well. But I love that phrase he said, a gradual release of responsibility on the learner. What a great way to encourage and demonstrate how to become a lifelong learner as a disciple. This program, it teaches candidates and really anyone in the community that wants to come to the proximate preparation to dive into scripture and, and the catechism and consider where God is at work and how to apply what they're learning in their everyday life. By following the stages of the catechumenate, this program helps lead people through a process of ongoing conversion. Four, 
Give confirmation its proper place and dignity. I love the way that the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston approaches the confirmation of adults and celebrates it in a communal celebration with the Cardinal. I know it's a common practice in many areas for priests to get a dispensation from their bishop to confirm adults themselves in their parish outside of the Easter Vigil. So that is another option for adults who are already Catholic but have not been confirmed. But I can see the value in holding a special celebration with the bishop to really emphasize the importance of this sacrament. I know I have seen situations where it has become like a prerequisite, like a box that needs to be checked in a marriage preparation program like Juan Carlos was describing. Number five, ask for help. What a great story about how the curriculum specialist helped broaden the perspective of those who were developing this program. Isn't it so easy to get stuck in our own silos, our own little islands, and think we have to do everything ourselves in our ministry? If you've been listening to the Gente Puente podcast, you'll know that those of us who consider ourselves Gente Puente or bridge builders strive to connect people instead of working in isolation. If that's you, I'd love for you to join the Gente Puente Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Gente Puente, where we share resources and ideas and encouragement with other Catholic leaders. And I would invite you to consider taking the Gente Puente Pledge, which you can see at pattycc.com slash pledge. I hope you enjoyed the interview and that you'll take advantage of this complete confirmation preparation program for adults by emailing Juan Carlos to get access. Don't forget to also visit his formation institute, Vayan al Mundo, at vayanalmundo.org or on Facebook, facebook.com slash vayanalmundo. Again, you can find all the links and the resources we mentioned in the show notes at pattycc.com slash 36. The next episode of the Gente Puente podcast will be what was supposed to be episode 33. Sorry about that. It will be about how to accompany youth and young adults in our ministry with Jaime Gil, the Director of Religious Education and Youth Ministry for the Diocese of Belleville, Illinois. You don't want to miss it. And please let your Spanish-speaking catechists and youth ministry colleagues or volunteers know that the episode is coming. And before I close, here is a quick rundown of some upcoming events. If you know about an event coming up that you think the Gente Puente community would like to know about, you can email me at patty at pattycc.com or message me on Facebook. October 1st through the 4th of this year, 2019, is the annual conference of the National Catholic Association of Diocesan Directors of Hispanic Ministry. So if you are a diocesan director, I hope you'll be there. It will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota this year. And for everyone else, please pray for them as they gather this year. October 6th through the 9th is the annual conference of the International Catholic Stewardship Council in Chicago, Illinois. You can find out more at catholicstewardship.com. And October 24th through the 26th is the annual membership meeting of La Red, the National Catholic Network of Pastoral Juvenil Hispana in Attleboro, Massachusetts, near Boston. Their website is laredpjh.org. <laughs> and lastly, November 21st through the 23rd is the National Catholic Youth Conference, NCYC, in Indianapolis, Indiana. Their website is ncyc.info. 
Don't forget to subscribe to this show, the Gente Puente podcast, on Spotify or iTunes or iHeartRadio or Stitcher or Google Podcasts or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening today. May God bless you and your ministry as Gente Puente. Gente Puente.